Welcome back to Case of the Sunday Scaries. I'm Elise. And I'm Annie. And I am taking a break and letting Annie take over the mic today to tell us a story that, quite frankly, I know very little about. I was explaining to Elise what I was going to talk about, and she was had a very confused look on her face. And I'm sure our listeners are also going to have the same look when I get into it. But if you've been listening for a while, you know that sometimes I enjoy to stray off the path of true crime cases. I've talked about the Denver Airport conspiracy. I've talked about Lake Mead. And today I'm doing the same thing. I'm going to talk about a facility that truly chills me to the bone. This facility is approximately two hours and nine minutes from where we are sitting. Behind these impenetrable walls, locked in solitary cells, are some of the most infamous criminals who have left a dark mark on our nation's history. From terrorists and serial killers to spies and conspirators, these individuals have struck fear into the hearts of millions. Today, I am talking about ADX Florence, a super max, super secure prison located in Florence, Colorado, that is commonly referred to as the Alcatraz of the Rockies. Today, we'll take a glimpse into the lives of some of ADX Florence's most notorious residents. We'll explore the reasons they are housed there, the crimes that led them to this isolated existence, and the measures put in place to ensure they never escape the walls. Throughout this episode, I'm going to give you chilling firsthand accounts from former prison guards and former inmates who have witnessed the intensity of life inside ADX Florence. We're also going to talk a little bit about the ongoing debates about the ethics of prolonged solitary confinement and the balance between punishment and rehabilitation. Elise, I know you love to get into the psyche behind true crime, so I feel like this is right up your alley. In order to really understand this prison, we have to start way back in 1983 when something horrible happened at the Marion Penitentiary located in Illinois. Thomas Silverstein, a.k.a. Terrible Tommy, was a leader of the Aryan Brotherhood, which, if you're not familiar, it's a neo-Nazi prison gang and an organized crime group that operates both in and out of prisons. He was in prison for multiple murders and armed robberies. One of these murders actually happened in prison. It was against a fellow inmate who refused to serve as a drug mule for heroin being moved throughout the prison. So Tommy killed him. Tommy was super violent and unpredictable. On this particular day in 1983, Tommy was let out of his cell for a shower, and on the way to the shower room, he somehow managed to get one guard, Officer Merle Klutz, separated from the other guards by distracting him. I'm not 100% sure how this happened. Tommy could have been kind of dragging his feet going slower than the group, which caused Officer Klutz to pull back a little bit. But regardless, Tommy was a cunning mastermind, so any little mishap could mean life or death. In a matter of seconds, Tommy stopped outside the cell of another inmate who passed a homemade prison knife to Tommy and managed to unlock his cuffs with a homemade key. Terrible Tommy then attacked Officer Klutz, stabbing him over 40 times and killing him. Oh my gosh. A few hours later, in that exact same day, Clayton Fountain, also an Aryan Brotherhood member, used the same strategy to kill another correctional officer named Officer Robert Hoffman. Because of these brutal murders that happened in the same day, only a few hours apart, the Marion prison was subsequently placed on an indefinite lockdown. This indefinite lockdown lasted for 23 years. What? 23. I was thinking like a hot second. No, over two decades this lockdown lasted. 
And the lockdown happened because the guard stabbings were blamed on an inadequate prison design. If you're wondering what this lockdown looked like, inmates were confined to their small cells for almost 23 full hours a day. When they were able to leave their cells for one hour, they were shackled, guarded, and under constant surveillance. Their contact with the outside world was also heavily monitored. After these guard murders, the Federal Bureau of Prisons Director, Norman Carlson, proposed a new facility to isolate the most dangerous, uncontrollable, unpredictable inmates for security and safety. Under his leadership, the Marion prison lockdown served as a model for ADX Florence. He took his findings, he tweaked them, and then he broke ground for the country's only supermax prison. ADX Florence opened in late 1994, and it quickly got the nickname the Alcatraz of the Rockies due to its supermax security. The nickname is in reference to San Francisco's most notorious island prison, Alcatraz. We have to do an episode on them. I would love that. I want to go there also. Maybe we take a little field trip. I'm down. Florence AD Max is the only facility in the country and possibly the world that can claim to be as secure as the shark-filled choppy waters of the Pacific Ocean. ADX is one of three facilities found in Florence, Colorado. There is kind of like this campus of prisons called the Colorado Federal Correctional Complex. And alongside the Supermax is a medium security and a high security prison. As of August 1st, so just a few days ago, there are 328 high-profile criminals housed at the Supermax. And this is two hours from us? Yep, like 100 miles. It's wild. The facility sits on 37 acres, and it's surrounded by 12-foot razor wire fencing, has 1,400 steel doors, multiple motion detectors, and cameras that are all remote-controlled. On site, there is a high guard-to-prisoner ratio, and many additional security measures are taken outside of the prison. Beyond the razor wire fences of ADX Florence, the ground surrounding the Supermax is filled with watchtowers, sharpshooters, pressure pads, laser beams, and guard dogs ready to stop any prisoner brave enough to attempt an escape. How the Supermax was constructed is really interesting, and this is kind of where the controversy starts to tiptoe into the case. It was built in a way so that prisoners have no idea where they are located. The walls are all concrete with very little daylight coming into them. There are only small windows on the ceiling of the hallways to keep the prisoners confused on their whereabouts when they go from point A to point B. And the goal of keeping them confused is so they can't talk to anyone on the outside and plan an escape. Within this prison is multiple criminals who have escaped numerous times from other prisons. Once a prisoner shows good behavior, they get a few additional perks, which in my opinion are not perks at all. They are allowed to talk to people on the outside world. They get one 15-minute phone call once a month. They can have visitors, but they're all no-contact ones. So you see in the movies, there's that bulletproof glass separating the inmates from any family or friends who decide to visit them. So there's no touching that's going on. Life behind closed doors is just as alarming. Each prisoner has a small cell that's 7 foot by 12 foot. It contains a desk, a stool, and a bed. Those three things are constructed almost entirely out of poured concrete. They have a toilet, they have a sink, and a shower. The shower runs on a timer to prevent flooding. And if the toilet is ever clogged, it automatically shuts off. I read this really interesting report from a past inmate, and he said that when he flushed the toilet, you can actually shout into the toilet bowl and your voice can be heard throughout other toilets 
in the prison. So it kind of makes this weird, gross telephone system through the toilet. When I was doing research for another case, they were talking about that, that they would flush the toilets in order to use it as basically the jail version of talking through cans, right? We did that when we were kids. Like you would have like the little cup and like, hello, can you hear me? They would just shout into their toilets and that's how they communicated with each other. That's so wild to think about. You're just like laying your head on the toilet like, hi guys, how's your night? And hoping that someone responds back because you're isolated. You have, you don't talk to anyone in this prison. Another thing that seems to haunt former ADX Florence inmates is the window design in the cell. Each cell has a window that's four foot by four inch wide, which might seem kind of big for a cell, but it's on an angled ceiling, kind of serving as a skylight. The only thing a person can see out of these angled windows are the night sky, and if you're lucky, part of the roof. You don't see any trees, you don't see any other buildings, You don't see anything. And this is once again to prevent prisoners from knowing their location. So imagine being in this little bitty cell, seven by 12 foot. That is your whole world. That's your whole existence. It's nothing. You don't have any contact with anyone unless you're screaming into a toilet bowl and who knows if anyone's going to respond. You don't even have interaction with prison guards. They slide your food through this little bitty, like almost like an envelope mailbox that you just put a tray through. That's your world. I I cannot imagine it. I'm listening to all this and I'm like immediately feeling bad for these prisoners. And then you remember that these are the worst of the worst. These are people that have done horrific things, but still it doesn't sound humane. It doesn't. And I talked um, about, you know, they get one hour a day outside of their cell. So they're allowed to leave their cell for this one hour and they walk alone to this exercise room. But in this room is a concrete pit that kind of resembles an empty swimming pool. The pit is large enough for only one prisoner to walk 10 steps in a straight line or 31 steps in a circle. So for an hour, they can walk. And it's just, it's hard to think about. I can't wrap my head around it. This is giving me anxiety. Like you were saying, the people in the Supermax prison, they're terrible, awful human beings. But it kind of makes you wonder how much of pure isolation can one human take? I don't like being alone for a few hours. And I have my cell phone. My mom is a phone call away. I have Netflix. I can get out of the house and go on a walk. But these prisoners can't. They can't do anything. So we're sitting here. We agree it's unethical. This is happening. And we're not alone. The International Rights Organization considers this degree of isolation torture. And if you're familiar with America, we have anti-torture law set into place. This thought is backed by numerous studies that show people who are isolated like this become very sensitive to noise. They become sensitive to light. They become paranoid. They hallucinate. And if they have a mental illness, which a lot of these prisoners do, it's exasperated by this severe isolation. The only piece of somewhat hopeful news, I don't even know if I'd call it hopeful, is that the goal of ADX Florence is to never keep a prisoner for more than three years. The hope is that prisoners go to ADX Florence, they face harsh punishments, and then they are moved back to lower security prisons. The idea is that once they've experienced this complete isolation, their behavior changes and they shape up. Talk about breaking someone's spirit. I assume that all of these prisoners basically are facing life in prison. They have these very harsh sentences. So rehabilitation is not necessarily a thing, right? They're not trying to rehabilitate them to put them back out into the public. However, this harsh punishment of isolation for three years, 
which as you said, can totally make a mental illness way, 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 way worse, right? And then putting them back into prison, I understand the thought. However, are we really doing anything to benefit this prisoner or are we basically stripping them from any human rights whatsoever and then expecting them to succeed in prison, whatever that means, whether it's getting along with the other inmates, not you know doing anything violent from there on out, just from fear of going back to this supermax prison. I just don't, I don't know if I'm like on board for this. I don't think I am, to be totally honest. And we've said it, they are horrible, horrible humans. But I think, I don't know, I'm curious. At the end, I'm going to have our listeners weigh in because I want to hear everyone else's thoughts. But I want to move on because over time, if these prisoners are good, they do get some perks, right? So they get books, they get a radio, and on a rare occasion, they might get a black and white television. But I read an interview from a former inmate that said, yeah, that's great, but the prison guards use that against them. They slip up one time and that's all taken away in a matter of seconds. Most inmates in the Supermax prison won't see another person other than a guard throughout their three years. So in movies, you see people walking down, you know, kind of a row of cells and they're all hooting and hollering. That is not the case here. They don't want anyone else to know who is in that Supermax prison. Due to these really harsh conditions, eight inmates have committed suicide. And there have been multiple lawsuits against the facility by inmates who, I use the term graduated, who kind of left the facility, and then they talk about what happened behind closed doors. The most recent lawsuit I could find was settled last year in 2022. The Federal Bureau of Prisons ended up paying $300,000 to a diabetic prisoner who did not receive his required insulin while he was incarcerated at the Supermax. His name is Safola Chapman, and he was housed at the prison on charges related to conspiracy to support a terrorist group and conspiring to use firearms in connection with a violent crime. He had ties with the terrorist group that are responsible for the 9-11 attacks, so not a great person. I'm not trying to say that by any means. He also actually trained terrorists in Virginia using paintball guns. Yikes. The prison's medical staff failed to provide Safula Chapman, who has a severe form of type 1 diabetes, the adequate amount of insulin while incarcerated. And that put him at risk for several medical complications, including coma and even death. Sabula described ADX as, quote, a prison that causes people to lose hope and experience inhumanity to an extent that I have not nor since experienced, end quote. So imagine being sick. You're in the supermax prison. You know that you need this insulin to survive and it's being withheld. And imagine that you get one 15-minute phone call a month. I don't know how the lawyer system works if they're allowed to go in there. I don't know. But you're like crying on the inside because you're like, I need my insulin and they're not giving it to you. Well, not only that, but if we're talking about mental health, if they're going to not give medicines that are keeping people alive, like insulin, it makes me then question, like, are they receiving medication for their mental health? Because if the whole goal quote unquote, is to graduate them back into a medium security or max security prison. How are you going to do that if you're not providing them the things that they literally need to survive? But also, it makes me definitely question if they're getting the mental health care that they need. That's a really good point. I'm sure they aren't. And I'm sure it's, you know, a prisoner, for example, with Safula, who was connected with a 9-11 terrorist group. It's his word against doctors and the supermax. How do you prove that? It's he said, she said game. And to your point about withholding certain things they need to survive, I read that their food is basically mush. 
because they don't want to give them anything that they can choke on purposely if they're trying to do that. So imagine just getting mushed for three years. Like another thing on top of another thing on top of another thing. Another inmate who went to ADX, he left and he called the facility life after death. He said it was a clean version of hell. Despite its unparalleled security, there have been two murders reported at ADX Florence. While left without guard supervision back in 2005, a former mafia member of the Mexican cartel was brutally beaten to death by two inmates. And in that same year, another prisoner was also beaten to death. Not sure what was in the water in 2005, but something bad was happening. And I talked a little bit about a former Mexican cartel member. Let's get into who is being housed at ABX Florence. When I tell you, I was like shaking in my boots, learning these guys are, you know, 100 miles away. I was a little bit scared. My hands started to sweat. Maybe I'm moving to the mountains because I'm getting the hell away from these people. Let's start with the foreign terrorist group. This facility holds a lot of men with ties to Al-Qaeda, a lot of men who are involved in the 9-11 terrorist attacks, a handful of men who planned on bombing airlines or high traffic areas like Times Square. And there's also a former member of the Russian army who was a spy. A few in particular stood out to me. First is the son-in-law of Osama bin Laden. What? He's held there. His name, it's really hard to pronounce. It is like Suleiman Abu Ghaith. In 2013, he was arrested in Jordan and extradited to the U.S., where he was convicted for conspiring to kill Americans and providing material support to terrorists. He was sentenced to life imprisonment. Another one is Zacharias Musayi. He was a French citizen and al-Qaeda operative. He pled guilty to terrorism conspiracy charges for playing a key role in planning the 9-11 attacks. He was one of the terrorists who helped hijackers obtain flight lessons down in Florida, money, and materials used in these attacks. Next is Muhammad Abulahima. He's an Egyptian terrorist who was one of the men convicted in the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. They discovered that in 1988, he traveled to Afghanistan to receive combat training and later committed this act of terrorism. He gave a quote about his time at ADX Florence, and he's still there. He said, quote, sitting in a small box in a walking distance of eight feet, this little hole becomes my world, my dining room, reading and writing area, sleeping, walking, urinating and defecating. I am virtually living in a bathroom. And this concept has never left my mind in 10 years, end quote. Yes, he has been there for 10 years and he's still there. I was shocked when I got down to the domestic terrorist group because if you're into true crime, these are household names. Household names that are super close to us and where we're sitting. First is the Boston Marathon bomber. He was responsible for planting a pressure cooker bomb at the finish line of the 2013 Boston Marathon. He killed three people and he injured over 250. He was actually sentenced to death. He was supposed to be transferred to a prison in Terre Haute, Indiana, when his execution date was set, but the death sentence was actually vacated in July of 2020 due to an inaccurate screening for potential biases among the jury pool. After that was overruled, it was then reinstated, so the death sentence was reimposed by the Supreme Court of the U.S. on March 4th, 2022. And he's currently at ADX Florence. He's been there since 2015. Another domestic terrorist is Terry Nichols. He was the co-conspirator in the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building. This ended up killing 168 people. 
Tarek Mahina, who was an American pharmacist convicted of conspiracy to provide material support to al-Qaeda, he was sentenced to 17 years in federal prison back in April 2012. He is getting released next August, on August 20th, 2024. I will be out of Colorado at that time period. One of the most infamous names is Ted Kaczynski. He was the Unabomber. He served time at ADX Florence before being moved to a federal prison in North Carolina. He actually died a few months ago, but he was one of the most notorious killers in ADX Florence. One of the past inmates gave an interview and they said that he was a really wiry, small framed man. I don't know why, but I pictured Ted to be like this massive presence. So hearing he was like a wiry, weird little man, just it was not what I was picturing. Now let's get into espionage. And anytime I hear the word espionage, I think of our Halloween episode, Elise, where you were talking about performing a spy move where you like circle around the floor. And it, it's never left my head since. As soon as you said espionage, I thought the exact same thing. And when I was like, yeah, I could do like somersaults. <laughs> you were like, what? In like my black cat outfit. Pop off, queen. Let's go. <laughs> OK, so first is Walter Myers. He was a former intelligence analyst for the U.S. State Department. He pled guilty which is surprising, to conspiracy to commit espionage. He provided classified U.S. national defense information to Cuba for a period of 30 years. Another guy is named Harold Nicholson. He is the highest ranking CIA officer to be convicted of espionage. He pled guilty to passing classified information to Russia from 1994 to 1996, in 2010, he pled guilty in attempting to collect payments from Russia agents for his past espionage activities. I can't talk about all of these criminals without talking about the head honcho in organized crime, El Chapo. The former leader of the Sonola cartel, which at the time of El Chapo's arrest, was the wealthiest and most powerful of Mexico's drug cartels. El Chapo was extradited from Mexico to the U.S. and was charged with drug trafficking, money laundering, and murder. El Chapo is known for escaping prisons. He had his first escape back in 2001 when he left the prison in Mexico in a laundry cart. The story goes that he had been paying these prisoners under the table. He had been using them to bring in contraband into the prison. He paid them really well. I mean, this guy's a billionaire, basically. And they somehow managed to put him in a laundry cart, cover him with sheets, and sneak him out of the prison. His second escape came 14 years later when he discovered that in his cell, he had a shower. Underneath that shower drain was tunnels that led to the outside world. He ended up going down a tunnel where a motorcycle was waiting for him. He drove a motorcycle one mile underground and just was probably yelling freedom the whole time. <laughs> But after he escaped the second time, the U.S. was like, no, 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 you're coming to the U.S. on charges of like cocaine, money laundering, murder, and he's now being held in ADX Florence. He's one of those guys that is always going to be in a supermax prison because he's known to escape. El Chapo has been at ADX since the summer of 2019. And because of his escape, the federal government is really concerned about his ongoing contact with pretty much anyone from the outside world. They're worried that he will send messages to his massive drug cartel, or they're worried that he's going to plan a possible escape. His isolation is one of the most extreme of all the prisoners. It's so extreme that back in January of this year, he sent an SOS to the president of Mexico pleading for help. 
According to one of his lawyers, El Chapo is extremely unhappy with his harsh prison conditions, including isolation and the lack of sunlight. He said he is receiving psychological torture from prison guards. And the president of Mexico said that he will consider the request to return from the U.S. to complete his sentence on more humanitarian grounds. But the president of Mexico wasn't like jumping at the bait to bring him back to Mexico. He was like, I'll consider it. I'll look into these pleas and this SOS message. But imagine being El Chapo and having like mansions upon mansions and then going to a seven by 12 foot cell. No bueno. To finish up our line of prisoners, one guy is named Michael Swango, and he was a physician and serial killer. He pled guilty in 2000 to fatally poisoning four patients and has been linked to many other deaths. He was sent to ADX prison at his own request due to safety concerns. I want to switch gears a bit here and go into a different person's perspective. I want to talk about the prison guards. From a guard's perspective, you can only imagine the amount of stress they are under. It has to be just this constant fight or flight mode. But to make matters even more dangerous, ADX Florence has been hit with a massive staffing shortage. In recent months, whispers of this staffing crisis within the walls of ADX Florence have turned into full-blown alarms. Nearly a third of the 476 correctional officer positions at the Supermax are unfulfilled. What does this mean for us? This means that teachers, case managers, counselors, facility workers, and even secretaries at the complex have been enlisted to serve as corrections officers, despite having only basic security training. Imagine being like a cook and they're like, hey, today you're actually going to be watching El Chapo. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. It's terrifying to think about. One reason for this low staff headcount is because We live in Colorado. The housing market in Colorado is crazy. It is so expensive to live here. And where Florence is located isn't necessarily like a city. It's a small town. So people have to live in either Pueblo, Colorado Springs, or Denver, and then commute to Florence. And the pay they're getting just isn't worth it. The juice is not worth the squeeze here. It is estimated that on any given day, there are 30 to 40 prison guard vacancies. A former warden of the prison named Bob Hood was interviewed, and he said that the supermax life is truly life after death. He spoke in particular about the Boston bomber who's being housed there. He said that he's young, he's not streetwise, and he's very susceptible to assault because the average inmate would like to hurt him. He said that his life will always be in danger. The Boston bomber's lawyer recently came out trying to get him moved to a different prison, And the warden said, no, he should stay there just for his own safety, because the minute that he's moved to a lower security prison, he's going to get assaulted, potentially get murdered. Another former inmate named Ray Luke Lavaslar, he spent five years at ADX after being convicted of bombing public buildings. And he had this to say about the Supermax. He said, quote, the isolation of solitary every day, you're trying to keep your basic humanity from slipping through your fingers, end quote. As I wrap up this episode, I'm curious what our listeners and Elise, I'm really curious what you think about the balance between security and humanity. Is isolating a person for 23 hours a day too much? Or do you feel like the punishment fits the crime? I want to ask you, Elise, what's your opinion about this? It is hard because as I'm listening to this, I picture myself in solitary confinement. I'm looking at our podcast studio and that's smaller than our podcast studio, this tiny little cell, and picturing if this was my life, 
these four walls had my bathroom, my dining room, you know, as that inmate said, it, it houses everything. And you just have a little bit of daylight coming through a skylight. What would that do to my mental health? People by nature, not all of us, there's a very small percentage that don't have a need for connection with other humans, but by design, humans are a social creature. And to not have that, what would that do for my mental health? So that's in one hand. And then the other hand is you have done these horrific, Mm -hmm. terrible things. You've left so many victims in your wake. So why do I care? And that's kind of the hard balance of it. As I was listening to you talk about this, I'm going, this is so terrible. This is awful. But yet, if I put myself in the position of a victim's family member, I want this. I want them to spend the rest of their life in misery because they have done absolutely horrible things, taken my loved one from me. And so I don't know where I stand with this. I am sitting here with like my hand on my head going, I just don't know. This is one of those things where we could talk about the death penalty to excess. Is it okay? Is it not okay? Is it humane? And then we talk about the supermax prison. It's the same thing of do these people deserve their basic human rights when they've taken the lives of innocent victims? And it sounds like, for the most part, numerous innocent victims. Where is the line between grace and deserved punishment? And I don't know. We would love to hear from you. I'm actually very curious what your guys' opinions are about places like this, where clearly it's not about redemption. It's not about rehabilitation. It's about punishment. And we can all agree that, yes, these people do not deserve to be part of society anymore. They've done things that are inconceivable to me. However, where's the line? I'm a little stumped in this. It feels like almost like a moral issue of like, how do we care for the people that have done the worst things to us? You're talking about espionage. You're talking about terrorists. Like we're all affected by that. We were all in some way affected by 9-11, right? Where's the line between grace and deserved punishment? I don't know. But we want to hear from our listeners. What do you guys think? Is this humane? Is this deserved? Let us know over on our Instagram page at a case of the Sunday Scaries. We're also on TikTok. Annie's going to be posting pictures of the cells and the prisoners that are kept at this prison. And we just want to hear what you think, because this is something that I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to. I will be back next Sunday with a case. Cannot wait to share with you guys. But as always, Please make sure that you like, follow, subscribe, do all the things. And if you really want to be a good friend of the podcast, make sure that you rate and review us on whatever streaming platform you're listening to and share this episode with a friend. Get their opinion. I think this is a really good opportunity to start a conversation. We will be back next Sunday. But as always, until then. <laughs>